death has entered creation and humanity for the first time ever. It's hard to fathom the magnitude of loss that they would have felt. But even in the midst of sin, and even in the midst of the venom of that sin working its way through Adam and Eve and the generations to come, God is not quiet. He is not silent. And he has not abandoned them to a hopeless existence. And I have news for you. When you have tasted paradise and that is now gone, your situation would without a doubt feel hopeless. And you know what else you would, you would have had and now suddenly would have been gone? This little thing called peace. We'll get to this in just a minute. Genesis chapter 3, God says this. After he, after he is dealing with the, the, the sin, has tempted Adam and Eve, and this is what he says. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, God is already, you may not feel this way when you read it, but already in this moment he's giving Adam and Eve hope. That it's not going to stay this way for all of humanity forever. In fact, somewhere in your lineage, somewhere in your offspring, you are going to have someone who will crush the head of the serpent. Oh, but that serpent is still going to get in one last bite and it's going to bite his heel. And who is this a picture of? Who are we to see on this side of the cross in Genesis 3? As Christians who've put faith in Jesus, we know that this is referring to Christ. Already in Genesis 3, we are being pointed to Jesus and what he does for all of humanity. But here's the problem. Sin will not be contained. And even in the midst of this promise and even in the midst of, of, of God giving hope to Adam and Eve, things aren't getting better. They begin to get worse. And they have kids, Cain, Abel, and Seth. And Cain literally murders his brother. Murders him. And so the spiral of sin, the venom of sin is working its way through. It's like a, if you've ever had an air mattress, you ever bought an air mattress before and you, you get it out for the first time, it's got that little bag that it is in, like the air mattress is in a bag, a pouch. You blow it up with a little motor deal and then you use it. And then you think to yourself, I'm going to let the air out. I'm going to fold it up and I'm going to put it back in this bag. No, you're not. You're not going to do that. You know why? Because somehow the, 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 the price of sin in creation, I don't know how it's happened, but air mattresses are forever broken in terms of getting back in the bag or like the sleeping bag where you're just, you know, you're pushing it back in and it just keeps coming out. Like what is wrong with the world? I can't contain it, right? That is sin. That is a picture of sin for you. It doesn't go back in the bag. It just doesn't fit. It keeps spilling out and spilling out out and spilling out. 
Sin won't be contained. And we see Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and, and then literally Cain's descendant, Lamech, right? And he's bragging about the depravity of his own heart and his murderous intentions and how vile and angry and mean-spirited he is. He's bragging about it. And here we are. Just a few generations into people. And things are not going well. And by the time we get to Genesis 6, we are at a breaking point. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he'd made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth, the human race that I've created and with them, the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah, Noah was the exception. Something about his life where he trusted God and he lived righteously before him. Skipping on down to verse 11, just for a little more context for you. The earth was corrupt in God's sight. The venom has worked its way through. And it was full of violence. If you want to know what life was like and what motivated and moved the, the, the heart of God and grieved him, it's that the earth is filled with a magnitude of violence that we don't even understand today. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark. And the verses that follow, you've got detailed instructions on how to build this boat. And this boat that's going to save Noah and his family as the flood waters come. And this is the story of Noah and the ark, or you may know it as the flood. What's interesting, when we talk about this story, we, we, we oftentimes get it wrong in that we frame it like a kid's story. It's not a children's story. Right? This isn't like all the animals, the giraffes and things like that on the deck of the boat, all just like hanging out up there, you know, like you see in the children's Bibles. They're all, they're all having a good time, you know, on the ark. And the sky is blue and the clouds are white and fluffy in the background. And it just looks like a good old time. You guys, you know I'm right here. The other extreme, though, is that this is a story about vindictive and petty God who is mad that he made these people. And now, like a, like a, like a bully with a magnifying lens, he's just going to burn the ants that he's created. If you remember the illustration in the movie Bruce Almighty, when, when Bruce is mad, this is his accusation at God that you're just a bully in the sky burning the ants of your creation. You're petty. And it's not that either. What we see is a God whose heart is broken 
and grieved over the magnitude of sin of creation. We are living in a world that has experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Meaning, after Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled the promise that he had been talking about and that all the scriptures had pointed to that the Holy Spirit would come and fill the the, the people who put their faith in him and you would be changed and transformed and shaped and the presence of God would live inside of you. Also, creation itself would taste the presence of God differently. I can't wrap my head around what creation looked like then, void of God's indwelling presence. The presence to really change you from the inside out. And God lets us in. He says that the level of violence was difficult to even comprehend. Imagine pillaging villages. Imagine genocide, imagine murder, rage, rape, theft, like just no peace, no peace, no rest, on edge all the time. And God's heart is grieved and the only one who stands out above the rest is a man named Noah. And God says, son, build yourself an ark. And we're going to bring literally a creation two by two onto this thing. The waters are going to come and I'm going to spare your family and I'm going to spare creation this way. And this is how we're going to write a new story. And what you see is literally an uncreation. It takes place literally backwards from the way God created it. He literally undoes it as if it's like back to the future with Marty McFly. And he's just, he's undoing it now day at a time. Until we get back to darkness and chaos and a boat floating on the water. And it's out of the waters that God meets Noah and begins creation again. What is it then? It's what we would call a new creation. And already we're seeing the groundwork being laid for the very thing that Jesus is able to do fully that Noah could only do partially. And that is he brings about a new creation. But it's not new creation in the sense that God's making trees, right? Or he's flooded the earth again. He's making a new creation starting with you and me on the inside. Now, Forgot my sweat cloth today, church. We've been out on campus a little bit. We've had prayer walks at Kennesaw State University. We, We are excited to be starting up campus ministry, outreaches ministry again. And I've been doing this thing with some of my neighbors and some of my my friends and different people, this thing that we use in our ministry of every nation called the God Test. It's simply a tool that we use for engaging and starting spiritual conversations. It's a 10-question survey. Most people are actually kind of intrigued and excited to do it. So whether you're out on campus or even in my neighborhood, I've been doing the God test. right? And so as I'm having conversations with people, unanimous across the board, you know what people have no problem acknowledging? That there is evil and wickedness on the earth. No one ever has a problem acknowledging that evil exists. 
I realize there are a couple exceptions, but, but it's a little bit rare. Most people acknowledge that evil is a real thing. They also desire for evil to have consequence. Most people don't have a problem with this. In fact, the difficulty that, we really, that most people have is reconciling this reality that, 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 that they refuse to admit that a, a, a Hitler and a Mother Teresa can somehow die and experience the same kind of afterlife and eternal forever. Whatever that might look like, it has to be different because there must be something reserved for good people and bad people. We don't always know how to distinguish what is good and bad. But in taking the survey, people have no problem acknowledging that evil exists, that evil needs consequence, and that we believe that it's up to God to do something about it. Now, if you're taking the God test, this is where the conversation gets to be steered and turned into having conversations about eternity and, and, and putting faith in Christ and what Jesus has done for us. But in this moment, what I want us to understand is that this is what God is doing. The very thing that we desire, even in taking a 10-question test, the majority of the world desires for wickedness to be punished. That is what godly justice actually begins to look like. In similar fashion, some of you have been to the doctor before and you've sat across, you know, the, the desk from the person giving the diagnosis. And if you've ever been, you know, on the other side of that and, and they don't have helpful information for you, it is the most hopeless, it's a, it's a hopeless scenario to find yourself in. In other words, like I have a friend who has a pastor, who's a pastor who's, who's talking about his wife and his wife has been sick and ill and they don't know what's causing her illness and she's been losing weight and she, she feels nauseous all the time and she feels tired and fatigued and weak and they don't have answers and they have been working through this for an extended period of time. And when you have no answers, it is so Peaceless. It's frustrating. And then finally, they're, they're overseas and they meet with a doctor right overseas and they get the information that they need that's pointing to what the condition is and what the problem actually is. Now, I want you to understand this. This doctor hasn't prescribed one pill, one medicine, one exercise. They're not doing anything yet to actually remedy the illness or sickness on the inside. But simply knowing what the problem is and what the bad news is, is actually the beginning of the good news. Do you hear what I'm saying? The, the bad news many times for us, we just frame it as if it's just bad news. But when you are experiencing something and you don't have answers as to why this thing is broken and why it's not working, to get the bad news is actually the beginning of the good news because now you can actually begin moving this thing forward. And that's the story of Noah and the ark and these floodwaters is this is the issue. Sin cannot be contained. You will never have peace. 
Woo! I may not have intended for that to happen, but you know what? It won't stay inside this cute little bag. It just will not be contained. The Lord knew what he was doing. So God uses Noah. And like a piece of art hanging in a museum, we are to see. And by virtue by, of, of seeing, eventually experience through Christ the peace that only he can bring. Think about this for just a moment. I don't expect you to know this, but you're going to know it now. Noah's name means rest and peace. So God uses a man of rest and peace to bring about new creation. The waters of chaos, turmoil, anxiety. Can you fathom being on a boat in pitch black darkness, right? It's rocking back and forth, lightning, storm. You don't know up from down and you've got one task in front of you and that's literally hang on and trust God through it. So God uses Noah. He raises Noah up and even the very dimensions of the ark, they are supposed to, for somebody who's an Old Testament Jew, they would have known this. We don't always know it, but it's a prototype of the temple that's literally going to be built a couple hundred years later. In other words, what we have is the temple of God floating on the chaos, the madness, the storm. And when you encounter and experience God's presence in the midst of chaos, what do you actually get? You get rest and peace because God is the only one who can do something about the chaos on the outside and the chaos on the inside. What is it that you need? You need his presence. And that is, again, the story of Noah and the ark is it's pointing us to what our greatest need is and how to experience it. You're not supposed to go outside and build another boat. That's not what's supposed to happen. But you know what you need just the same? You need God's presence to calm things on the inside that you would know Jesus as who? The Prince of Peace. The new Noah the better Noah, who brings about a new creation. Tolkien says it like this. I mean, you guys know this. Sometimes when we talk about peace, we talk about these things in real churchy ways. It takes Noah all of about five minutes for the boat to land for new creation to begin. And he's already jacked things up. In other words, peace does not last. And we know what that's like with our coffee because Lord knows you get a little measure of peace from drinking coffee. I mean, true? A little bit. You come home from work and you empty that bottle of wine. What is it that you're actually looking for in that moment? Peace. That's what you're after. 
And many times even our addicted behaviors, they really start out with, with, with a pursuit of trying to find rest and peace for a weary soul. Whether it's pornography, whether it's retail therapy, whether it's coffee, whether it's whatever it might be. And I'm not saying that having a cup of coffee is wrong. I'm not saying that having a glass of wine is wrong. What I'm saying is that if you're not mindful, though, what your heart is really pursuing is something that only Jesus can provide. Tolkien says the hearts of men in Lord of the Rings, the hearts of men are easily corrupted in Lord of the Rings. Or Taylor Swift, she says it maybe even better. She says, it's me. Hi. I'm the problem, it's me. That's exactly right. Hi. Whatever it is, <laughs> it's me. Hi, I'm the problem, it's me. In other words, I'm the one, I, I, like, it's systemic. It's on the inside. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? In other words, we need someone greater than Noah. We need somebody who's stronger than coffee and a bottle of wine. We need someone who's bigger than salaries and salary caps and you getting promotions and finally feeling a little reprieve. And I'm not saying that any of those things are bad or aren't good. They are, but in and of themselves, they will not bring you lasting peace and the reason we know that is because we always need more and so Jesus gives us a picture in Mark chapter 4 he gives us a picture of something that we catch a glimpse of looking at the piece of art of Noah and the ark but he brings it to fullness. And we see this Prince of Peace. We, we see another ark story filled with chaotic waters and the storm and panicking disciples. And what is Jesus doing in the midst of this storm as he's on this miniature ark upon the lake? What's he doing? The scriptures say that Jesus is sleeping. In other words, in the midst of chaos, the man of rest, the true man of peace, the true man of rest is doing exactly what he claims to be. He's resting and he is experiencing perfect peace upon the chaos of the waters. And the disciples wake him in Mark chapter 4. I'm not even going to read it. You can see it behind me. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus He's asleep when the disciples wake him and they're like, we're drowning here, Jesus. The floodwaters are rising. Don't you care about us? Don't you care about my issues? Don't you care about my problems? And that's how it feels a lot of time. God, where are you? I am freaking out. I'm panicking. I've got anxiety. I'm worried. I'm stressed. I can't get peace in my mind. What are we going to do? And Jesus steps up in this boat. And he stands up and he says, quiet. 
be still. And the wind stops and the lake becomes calm. And Jesus is letting everybody know. Take note. You're familiar with Noah, who God used to bring about new creation. The one who God used to establish his presence amidst the chaos. And after 40 days and 40 nights out on the water, peace has come. And we're going to start this thing all over again. Jesus is letting the disciples know that you thought that was power. Watch this. Be still. Quiet down, water. Who's in charge? Who's the boss of this situation? I am. The man of peace, the son of the living God, the one who has all authority. The one who is ultimately bringing about new creation and establishing God's peace upon the earth. And he looks at the disciples and he says to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? In other words, it's not that peace was this thing that you needed. It's not this commodity for you to acquire. You're with the Prince of Peace right now. And if you knew the kind of peace that I offer, you would have no reason to be afraid. There's no panic. There's no despair. There's no anxiety. There's no hopelessness. You're with the one who doesn't just give peace. I am the one who defines peace. It's in me that you experience peace. And Jesus makes it clear that if he can calm the storm on the outside, he can sure calm the storms on the inside. If he can heal the lame, then he can forgive sin. If you remember when Jesus raises the, the paralytic. If he can calm the storm on the outside, he can calm it on the inside. The real question is, will you trust him? Will you put your faith in Jesus? Where are you at today? Let's not be churchy about it. Let's not talk in Christianese about it. Do you need the peace of God in your life? The answer is, oh, oh my goodness, it's simple. But oh, so hard to do at times. It's simply to trust Him. To renew your trust in Him. To renew your trust in Him. To put your faith in in him, to cry out to him, to let go of the things you're holding on to and, and latch on to him, to trust him. And you'll find peace. 
Stand to your feet. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Go to Jesus. His presence brings peace. Father, in this moment, Lord, I know there are many here, God, whether it's parenting, whether it's sickness, whether it's monetary, whether it's relational dynamics, God, there are so many things fighting against our peace in you, God, that we, would, that we would have rest in you, that we would trust you in these situations, in these scenarios, Lord. God, and we feel knotted up on the inside. But we see, God, your plan for creation to have a, a different ending, a different story. We see how you use Noah, the man of rest, to bring about your peace upon the earth. Lord, we see Jesus, Lord, the greater Noah, bringing about your peace upon the earth. God, we need that peace. And so as our King and our Prince and our Lord, would you come into our hearts right now? Wherever you are, this is what I want to invite you to do. Say, Jesus, I trust you. Whatever that thing is that's that's ailing your heart, name it right now. Say, Jesus, you are my prince of peace. Bring peace to this situation and name it. Right here, right now. If you're standing here today and you need to put your faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior, then today is your day. And here's what I want to invite you to do. Say, Jesus, you are my King. I turn from everything that I know is sin and I give it to you. You have authority over my heart, my soul, and everything about me. I give you it all. Let me experience the peace and joy of your salvation even now. Fill my heart and change it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You'll hear from Gerald in just a moment, but if you prayed, especially if you prayed to put your faith in Jesus today, here's what I want you to do after service is over. I want you to make your way down front because we want to have just a quick conversation and be an encouragement to you.